This morning we continue our sermon series on the book of Haggai. Uh, you may know that this sermon series is titled, Built for Greater Glory. Think about that, Built for Greater Glory. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you're reaching for the Pew Bible in front of you, the Blue Bible, it's on page 791. And I know that um, we have many of the children worshiping with us. And so I would like for you to take out your summer worship guide. And on the back page is a blank space. I'd encourage you to draw a picture. What is the house of the Lord? What does it look like? Uh, maybe you have ideas. And then if you're an adult and you don't know quite how to respond to this sermon, turn to page three. They actually have great ideas here. What is God asking you to do or stop doing or keep doing? Who can you be praying for? What has God shown you today about who he is, about the one who knows you and is crazy about you? So you can borrow this from a young person sitting next to you. We're going to start in last week. You may uh, remember the people of Israel had forgotten what I would say is their personhood, their purpose, and their priority. So let me talk about what I mean for a moment. Their personhood. Remember, they are the people that God has chosen to glorify himself on the earth. God told Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. The Israelites are meant to be a people, a nation set apart. Why? Why? Purpose. For the glory of God. God had told Abram, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, these people had lost a sense of their personhood, their identity. Their purpose, which is to live for the glory of God and the blessing of all people. And then their priorities. What they chose instead, if you look at verse 9, was to go their own way. <clears throat> they chose to busy themselves with their own houses while the house of the Lord remained in ruin. And if you remember when John preached the sermon, he said, Our houses will never be in order. Our houses will never be in order unless they're ordered around God. And so today we pick up in verse 10. And for the next few minutes together, we're going to look at three things. The Lord's reproof, the people's repentance, and the Lord's response. The Lord's reproof, the people's repentance, and the Lord's response. And when I use the word reproof, uh, that takes on many meanings, but you could think of it in terms of chastisement, correction, discipline, or even punishment. And what is it? Look at verse 11. I've called for a drought on the land and on the hills. You heard that read a moment ago, that God actually calls for a drought. Why is he doing this? What's the reason? 
Is it punishment? Well, perhaps the people have not fulfilled their covenant with God. In some ways, you could argue they've put other things ahead of God and broke his commandment to have no other gods before me. Instead, they've gone their own way. So it would be right for him to bring chastisement. But is it also the discipline of the God who loves his people and wants nothing less for them than the only one and only thing that will truly satisfy them? Can you imagine God looking down upon this people, his people, and thinking they will never find life in the direction they're headed? They will never find the one for whom they were made as they busy themselves with their own story. What will bring them back to humble themselves to repent and turn to me? And so he chooses Haggai, a prophet, to come and bring them the word of the Lord. Haggai actually tells them what God is going to do. Haggai says, God says through Haggai, I have called for a drought. Now, make no mistake, a drought is severe. But it is the severe mercy of a loving God. Remember, the path to accomplish God's glorious purpose often comes through many divinely closed doors. God bringing the people to the end of themselves so that they would turn to him. And so we look at the people's repentance. Look at verse 12. First, the leaders turn and obey the voice of the Lord. Think about this. Zerubbabel, who is the governor, and Joshua, who is the high priest, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. That's in verse 12. I think it's worthy of considering that those in authority, the word of God comes from Haggai, a prophet, to those in authority, and they humble themselves. They hear the word of the Lord. They turn and obey. And as the leaders, the people follow. Look at verse 12. All the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the people feared the Lord. You've heard that phrase before. What is the fear of the Lord? To fear God is to revere him and give him his due respect and honor. In Deuteronomy, the fear of the Lord is linked to the love of God in obedience to him. So we've seen for these people, this remnant of Israel, God's reproof and their repentance all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And now let's look at the Lord's response. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you. I am with you. I think you and I might not fully appreciate what that means. For these people. You might remember that in Exodus, God speaks to Moses and he tells Moses, What will go with you? 
my presence. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then after they build the tabernacle, what is it filled with? The presence of God. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then later, after Solomon and the people build the temple, what happens? The presence of God. As soon as Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is how the people knew and experienced the presence of God in their midst. With them in the wilderness, in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then the prophet Ezekiel actually sees because of the people's disobedience, their profanity, their idolatry, the presence of the Lord leave. This is before the exile. Listen to this verse in Ezekiel. Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house. From that point forward, we don't see the presence of the Lord there. And now, when this remnant of people turn and repent and determine we will rebuild the house of the Lord, does God wait for it to be finished? No. Through Haggai, he says, I am with you. The presence of the Lord comes back to the faithful people. And then he gives them his power. The Lord gives them his presence and his power. When God instructed the people of Israel to build the tabernacle, you might remember he actually equipped those who would build it with all the knowledge and skill they would need. He actually says to Moses, I've called by name Bezalel and I've filled him with the Spirit of God and the ability to devise artistic things. It's a beautiful picture. And now that's what happens. Look at verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, who's the governor, Joshua, who's the high priest, and all the people of Israel. He empowers them for the work he's called them to do. And what did they do? They go, see verse 14, and work on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. I'd like you to imagine this. The foundation of the temple lies in ruin. And the people turn and together with their leaders begin to rebuild the house. The people of God working together to rebuild the house of God for what? The glory of God. For the glory of God. What does this mean for you and me? Again, we're going to consider the Lord's reproof the people's repentance, and the Lord's response. But first, before we do that, look at verse 1. Right in the middle of the verse, after it mentions the, the date and time, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet of Zerubbabel, to Zerubbabel. How does the word of the Lord come to you and me? Back in their day, God would have to send a prophet to come and bring and deliver the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord is available to you and me. 
Uh, we know that through the person of Jesus, the Holy Scripture, and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the fullness of God's revelation, who not only, get this, not only fulfills the Scripture, but is himself God's Word, the living expression of God's mind. In the beginning was the Word. Think about it. Do you know Jesus as the living Word of God? And then, of course, the Holy Scripture. Sam often describes the importance of us putting ourselves under the authority of the Word. We believe that the Holy Scripture is God's Word written. And in the church, it's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And then third, the Holy Spirit. Jesus told the disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's how the word of the Lord comes to us. And it's why it's so important that we are disciples of the word, both written and living, so that the reproof of God, the, the discipline of God, as well as the life of God comes to us through the word. And it's helpful to remember that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. In other words, as we consider God's discipline, let's not lose sight of the fact that because Jesus took the punishment of sin once for all, for all time, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now we'll consider the Lord's reproof in terms of suffering, sowing and reaping, and God's discipline. Suffering. You and I know that there's simply the experience of living life in a broken and fallen world. A world of cruelty, darkness, injustice, oppression, sickness, death. And I'm not saying that this is the Lord's discipline or reproof. It's the reality of living east of Eden. But I am saying the Lord redeems even this to remind us of who and what is true, to draw us into a deeper intimacy with him, to form in us the likeness of Jesus, and to prepare us for eternity. I know this because I know some of your stories. I know of some of your suffering. And I watch you, and you hold fast to your faith, and you persevere faithfully and steadfastly. And I see in you, as you follow the Lord, a glimpse of the beauty and the goodness and the power of God. This morning, in my little time of devotion and prayer, I read uh, this phrase from the author. I thought it was so great, I put it in the sermon. We are to be living trophies of God's grace. The grace of God. Second, sowing and reaping. Remember, you heard Sharon read, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In that sermon, that message from Jesus, he's basically saying, look, 
Set your heart and mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth where moth and rust corrupt and steal, not bags that won't be able to hold your treasure but empty it out with holes. And then Paul writes in Galatians, for one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. That's Galatians 6, 7, and 8. In other words, you and I know that there is a principle of sowing and reaping. Even in God's sovereignty, what he's in doing is encouraging us to sow to the things that are everlasting and eternal. And then third, discipline. Sometimes God just disciplines us. He disciplines those he loves. Remember in John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, and who is my father? He's the gardener. He's the vine dresser. And he explains that <clears throat> every branch that does not bear fruit, he cuts off. And this part, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You see, friends, sometimes we undergo pruning, that is discipline, at by the Father's hand, so by His grace, we become more godly. This, by this, is He glorified. So Jesus says that in John 15, and the author of Hebrews picks it up in chapter 12. You might want to write in the margin, Hebrews 12, 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. And then the author closes in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline does, seems painful rather than pleasant. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Are you and I together putting ourselves in the position of being sanctified, that is, trained up by the power of God for what? The glory of God. And so we've seen God's reproof. We've seen uh, his, uh, the people's response, his discipline. We look now for the people's repentance. Look at verse 5. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Skip back down to verse 7. The Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. Well, you've learned from Sunday school, when God repeats himself, he means it. Right? He says it twice. Consider your ways. That should be our posture all the time. God, show me my ways and see if there's any way apart from you in it. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. The God search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That should always be our earnest prayer. Now, it's not easy when things don't work, when life doesn't turn out the way we thought, when God's timing isn't the way we, we thought it should be. But in the middle of that, our prayer should be, consider your ways. 
And if we sense God's discipline, we do what the people did. We humble ourselves and confess our sins. We receive God's forgiveness, cleansing, and grace. Friends, the thing about the song that I loved we sang was the battle's been won. We need the power of God, the grace of God to live for the glory of God. And so we turn from our ways and like Abraham, we hear and obey, who by faith went out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And yet not knowing, he went out not knowing where he was going. So friends, there are ways through the word of God we receive his reproof. And we respond with repentance. And then we get his response. Which again is two things. His presence and his power. Last week in his sermon, John Fredericks reminded us of this. It's in 1 Corinthians. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Whom you have from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He, is giving a, he has given those who by faith have turned to Jesus. The presence of God. In the person of God. And we now are the temple. And as Sam said in his description of communion today. When you come forward to receive recognize that we believe in the real presence of God in the elements, that you are coming humbly to receive by faith the things that Sam described. And then, of course, he gives us his power. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that by having all sufficiency in all things, you can abound in every good work. That's 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Why? God gives us his presence and his power for his purpose and his glory. Remember, we're part of God's covenant with Abraham. And in us, all the families through us, the families of the earth shall be blessed. So let me just summarize. There's the Lord's reproof. When he calls to discipline us, why? Because he loves us and wants more for us. The people's repentance. From that time forth, Jesus began to preach repentance. And we will confess in a moment our sins. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the things for which you and I want to and need to repent. So we can receive of God. And then the Lord's response. Jesus says again in John 15, abide in me. Not with me, in me. There is a unity and an intimacy and a oneness and a life there that we've only begun to understand. I'd like to step back and as I conclude, frame this story. Think about this. In 520 BC, the word of the Lord comes to Haggai, the prophet, to the people of Israel. And he says, consider your ways. Go up to the hills, bring wood, and build the house, meaning my temple. This is Haggai 1.9. That I may take pleasure in it, and what? I may be 
glorified. Five, over 500 years later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples where? In Jerusalem. And Peter proclaims, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And as Sam has told us, in that moment, the church was born. And Peter would later write to the church, as you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God. What? You yourselves are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Do you see the parallel? The word of the Lord comes to the Israelites in Jerusalem to build the house of God. 500 years later, the word of the Lord comes, is poured out through the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem on the followers of Jesus to build what? To become the house of God, built up as a spiritual house. And today, the message is the same. In 2023, the word of the Lord comes to the false church, to the false church Anglican, who we too, like living stones, are being built into a house of God. In Isaiah, Isaiah writes, lift up your eyes. And I think that's what God's inviting us to do. Lift up your eyes from the smaller story that you and I tend to try to write for ourselves and to the adventure God is inviting us into. Remember Jesus' invitation? Come follow me. Come and see what I am doing. What does that look like to build the church? Discipleship. We become firmly rooted disciples of Jesus who bear the fruit of the Spirit. Community. We love and care for and serve each other in the way Jesus modeled. And together, we become the people of God who put God on display in mission. We love our, our neighbors with the great love of God and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Lift up your eyes. What God is doing in, among, and through you right now is more beautiful more powerful, more transformational, and more eternal than the place in which we're worshiping. Lift up your eyes. This is the story God is calling us to live. I'm going to conclude with this from Peter's last message to the church and remind you that God calls us to this, that he might be glorified. Listen for the word of God. You are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made from you. Made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accept it we were built for greater glory and god is calling us to it so that he may be glorified amen